Warning, the following podcast may contain material that is inappropriate for listeners that are under the age of 18, are easily offended, or get annoyed listening to the rantings of holier-than-thou-know-it-alls that are anything but. And welcome to episode 127 of the Anime World Order podcast. Hopefully we can get one of these out a month consistently. I don't know if we... No, a week. Every week. Every, every week. The website Is says the, every week. That's the episode so, schedule. Yeah, that's... <laughs> After eight years and we're on episode 127. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know of any podcast out there that is not a paid... Like, they make a living off of it that can do it consistently every week. But this is, you know, free entertainment, so you get what you pay for. Anyway, this is Anime World Order. I am Gerald Rathgold, and with me are my friends. This is Daryl Surratt. Hey, I'm Clarissa. And uh, we talk about anime and manga and things like that. As we record this, the first new animation of Sailor Moon to premiere in about 20-some years just aired. And the internet let a collective sigh of, uh, we'll see where it goes. Well, it's one of those things where... A lot of times people like us have been talking about the difference between like the cell animation and the digital animation and people a lot of times would sort of write you off and say, yeah, you old timers. But this with Sailor Moon Crystal now starting, people now can really look at the two same works side by side telling the same story with the main difference being how they're animated and they can kind of see you know, okay, from a technical standpoint, this digital animation, it's cleaner, it's this, but there's some sort of spark that may be missing from going from one to the next. And I think people are just noticing that on a grand scale now, as opposed to just like people talking about, I don't know, Gundam or whatever. Yeah, something that you, that's nothing to compare to, because Sailor Moon, maybe next to Dragon Ball Z, is one of the few older shows, I should say, that a lot of people still watch. Young people, even born after Sailor Moon, have watched Sailor Moon. It is very interesting to see the reaction suit. I have not seen the new episode of it. I'm waiting for uh, like you to watch, watch it with... on Fridays, right? Yes, watch it with my friends. But it's well, been you interesting. Got to Space see... Dandy now is back, also, so you can watch it back to back, like those two and JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. So it's a good time <laughs> to be watching things as they come out. Yeah, and we're watching Armor Trooper Votoms too. So throwing some good old school in there. Tim Eldred would be proud. The original Votoms, not the new Votoms. Yes. Clarissa has some interesting theories about Chirico. Um, <laughs> I thought it was your friend Cassie's It's kind of both theory. of us, but yeah. Okay. But mostly Cassie. And I'm not necessarily against this, because in the end, people are watching Armor Trooper Votoms. That's what's important. And I like the ideas anyway. Yep, this is Anime World Order. This episode, we're going to be kind of going back to our roots with this review, and I'm going to be taking a look one of the older shows we've reviewed in a long time that is 1984's giant gorg 30 years ago exactly right? yeah only show ever directed by yoshikazu yasuhiko only tv show up until next year he is in line to direct the tv series for gundam the origin which would be the first tv show he's directed in 31 years and it's going to be one of those cases where the original author of the manga is yes. going in to direct the anime adaptation. That doesn't happen very often. Like, you look back to maybe, like, 
the Akira movie. There's not a lot of occasions where that happened. I think maybe... Mm, no, I, I can't think of many. Because, I mean, it's a totally different skill set to direct animation than it is to be able to draw manga. Right. So I'm definitely looking forward to Gundam The Origin because uh, Yaz doesn't do a lot of work nowadays except manga. Anyway, that I will talk about in our review. As for our lovely backlog of uh, emails, our last episode we talked about anime clubs. And we got this email that, that kind, of <laughs> kind of made me laugh a bit. It's just called Anime Clubs Picking Shows. Maybe you'll see what I saw in this. It said, Dear AWO, on a recent episode, you read an email regarding anime clubs and how they operate. I have never been to a club, but I do have friends that I mostly only see at conventions or when we get together to watch anime. We range from high school to the mid-40s, so it's a mixed bag of tastes. As such, I wanted to share our method of choosing what to watch, as we have found it to be a very fun exercise, and it really pumped up the interest in attending this past year. One of our members decided to send out an email to our attendees, seven of us at the time, which had a list of numbers from 1 to 21, which corresponded to a list she made of genres, which she kept secret. She then sent individual emails to each of us in three rounds, asking us to choose a number. Each email that she sent was slowly populated by the names of other members to show what numbers they had chosen. Once everyone had chosen numbers, she was left with three remaining numbers, which she claimed herself. After selections was made, she sent out another email showing what our selections had been. We would then choose an episode of a show or an OAV or a movie that matched each genre which had been assigned. Obviously, a lot of genres overlap in any given anime, so picking a show to match the genre could still be pulling from a fairly vast sea of possibilities. So to this point, you're just picking a number with no concept of what that number means. Seemingly, yes. And then only afterwards, oh, well, you picked number six, and number six is this genre. Yeah. And yeah. then you get some shows from that alleged genre. Right. She goes on, or he goes on, I should say. Oh, it's still going. Okay. It's still going. <laughs> Finally, she made three additional categories which she deemed as, quote-unquote, punishment genres. These were punishment because she also assigned tasks to whomever failed worse or scored lowest. These would be assigned as punishment categories. They were Yuri, Yoi, and WTF. How or, are any of those punishments? Have you not seen the lines for any of those alleged genres anywhere? Anyway. Well, to be fair, the line for Yuri is usually pretty short. <laughs> when we got together, numbers were dropped in a hat and randomly pulled by various people. She's still going. So more and, numbers. Uh, more so, random numbers. So we never knew what was coming next. Since our sessions are usually from noon to 9 or 10 p.m. with a breakout for dinner... We had enough material for two group meetings. We only meet is, is it every ten hour, ten hour meeting. We only meet every couple of months, so um, we were all very pleased with how it came out. A lot of unique and forgotten and random shows made it on the list, which was refreshing. Incidentally, my picks for our first show were as follows: one, horror, which is a show called Electromagnetic Girlfriend, and nine was action Goku Midnight Eye. Fifteen was adventure Kaiba. How is Kaiba adventure? I don't know, and. WTF was Gouda Gouda Fairies, which I How can... is Gouda Gouda Fairies punishment? <laughs> that is not punishment. That is a joy to watch. It was later pointed out that all of my shows could have fit into the WTF category, something I totally so, blame you guys for. Okay, that's some bullshit to put Goku Midnight Eye in the WTF category. <laughs> 
at any rate, thanks for all the years of dedication and great shows. Keep up the good work. Okay, that so is... the only way to make that more complicated would be to introduce Robert's <laughs> rules of fucking order, all like <laughs> CFO style, in the mix. Because how, how is this constructive to any human being to say, all right, we've secretly picked numbers. Your choice doesn't actually correspond whatsoever to your taste because you're just picking numbers that mean nothing except to one person. If only one person knows what the fucking numbers mean, then why not just have that person pick the genres to begin with? Since it's not like you really have any sort of decision point being made. If I'd saying I'm pick a number from one to 21. Oh, uh, eight up. Oh, well, eight is gay porno. <laughs> that it is the most complicated method I've ever seen for choosing shows. And it all boils down to basically one person who actually knows what's what is actually going to then take that and either tell you here's what the genres are, and then that same one person is going to then say, hey, well, I've decided that these particular shows fall into this genre. Yeah. Well, so no, why, I don't why, think they said that that's what happened. Well, once you pick the genres, once they say, okay, these are the genres, then it comes to faults to everybody else to say, okay, now you pick something that falls into that genre. Right. And whatever you pick, it just goes. There's no, like, dissent or anything like that. You could say anything is anything. That's what it says after the selections are made. See, it's complicated. It takes three three of us to figure this out. <laughs> well, hey, as as long as they enjoy it, that's all that matters. But holy crap, I would have a hard time keeping up with that method of figuring out what to watch. Yeah, it just seems like very bureaucratic red tape to basically get to the same end idea of everybody bring something that's different. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> I wonder how many high school aged people are allowed to hang out and watch anime for 10 hours at a time. With 40 year olds? Hmm. With 40 year olds. Uh, I wonder. But if you meet once every couple of months, it's hard for me to believe that you're like watching anything longer than like 13 episode TV series. Like you can marathon a 13 episode TV series in 10 hours. Yeah, but like but, um, the picks are just watching one episode. Like that's yes, like uh, my picks are I picked one episode of this and then there's however many other people in the club. So you're just watching like 10 hours of things that are maybe one episode at the most. Maybe. And right, I, I imagine the, the purpose at that point is just to introduce people to stuff that they can then choose to follow up on on their own. Right. Yeah, that's typically how a lot of those clubs would work. Yeah, and I mean that that works for some people. That's that's one of the reasons why I stopped going to some clubs because I like to, like, watch a whole thing through with people. But, again, whatever works for some people, right? I am concerned that there is a growing number of people out there who are watching things that are legit great, such as Gouda Gouda Fairies, soon to be a theatrical film. I'm so the looking forward to it. So and, looking and forward daring, to it. And daring, daring to say that is punishment or WTF inspiring along with, you know, the works of the great Yoshiaki Kawajiri and Masaki Yuasa, all these things are considered candidates for punishment among these crazy cover sheet on the TPS report when picking your anime club show <laughs> people. I'm sorry to bury you guys with your well thought out, or at least elaborately thought out system. Let's see. Did anybody else have anything they wanted to bring up? I actually did kind of want to go into one of these questions just because it's a little short, but it's one of those things where you can make it as complicated as you want. And it's actually like probably one of the most recent emails that we got. And I think we've actually answered this before, but this one's from Maxi in Germany. It says, Hey, always terribly busy AWO crew. I think the title of this email makes it rather clear what kind of request I've got in store for you. Please tell me. 
how much I should watch of Urdusei Yatsura. Urdusei Yatsura is a 200 episode plus monster with like seven movies or something like that. So what do you guys think is actually worth watching? The bit that Mamoru Oshii did? Would I miss out on a lot if I only went straight to the movies? Will this email be answered before 2017? I believe in you! Thanks in advance, your loyal listener, uh, Max, which I guess is the way that you would uh, Americanize that name. So, I know our criminally insane Kanakistanian friend Jarvis managed to watch all of Urusayatsura in its entirety over the course of about two weeks, but he cheated... He cheated like a dirty, cheating Kanakistanian because he was able to watch it during work. Yeah, when you can watch anime during the day at work, you have a major advantage over anybody anywhere. So Right. It's uh, not fair to the people to say, oh, just watch through all of it in one shot. I would actually say to not go straight to the movies... I know a lot of people really praise the second movie in particular as being like, oh, the only one you should watch. I don't believe in that. I think much like the Pat Lieber movies, you need a background in who these characters are first. And because these are movie adaptations of a TV show, these movies just start and assume you know who everybody is and what the deal is. So I would say you should, in fact, watch at the very least some of the TV series. Now, how much of that to watch, that's the debatable portion. I think the upper end I would recommend people to watch is like half. And even half is a hundred and some episodes. You can basically get like what the deal is with everybody in far fewer episodes than that. Uh, they are continually introducing new characters. I guess the way the breakdown was is that Mamoru Oshii and Studio Piero did like the first like, I would say like 105, 106 episodes or whatever. It's on Wikipedia. You can look it up. And then afterwards, they switched to Studio Dean, which, I, you know, even to this day, Studio Dean is maybe not the most renowned for quality. I would say as far as uh, technical, you know, proficiency, there was enough budget in that show where things looked like it doesn't look like a super old show but you can watch like a typical anime series length like 25 26 episodes let's say and then you'd be like okay i get what ursay author is about even though i don't know who all these characters are and then you know you could watch the movies or the oavs or what have you the good thing about ursay author is that it's entirely self-contained there's not really a continuity other than these characters exist right i mean i watched 70 some or 80 some episodes back in the day and then because the way anime ego did their releases then they released all the oavs and all the movies and such like that because uh they didn't actually finish that tv series until a few years ago the terrible part with uh yurusei yatsura is that how do you reasonably watch the show like that is, that is that is a perfect example of a show that just needs to get itself on crunchyroll because yeah, it just needs to be streaming. Yeah. It's super long. The DVDs are all out of print. It's it's just not a show that you really were ever meant to buy. Right. It's a show you were just meant to watch weekly on TV. And it's so hard to say, okay, now go and find these things. Like, really, it needs to get on crunch. There's no other real way. I don't even want to say pirate it because, you know, you can still well, get well, you, some of those you, things. But Well, you can't because Animego doesn't even have the license for it anymore. Well, I was going to say pirate it, meaning... There are people who have had to put those DVD rips up sometime because well, yeah, it's just I mean, so but, impossible to watch that show. 
Yeah, well, you can't buy the DVDs legally. They're no longer sold. There's no stream of it. There's no legitimate way to watch that series anymore or the OAVs or the movies. It's all just gone. Yeah. You have to, for the moment, steal it. Perfect area for, for Crunchyroll, really. Just like yeah. how they put all of um, Galaxy Express up there and how they put all of Fist of the North Star up there. Like, I think those are all Toei things, but like I don't know. I know if they're they're all Toei. Any... I know, but uh, I don't know what what company owns. It would be Viz who own it by a matter of default, just because of the manga. Like I would think, if it reverts back to the Japanese side of things, which is you know Shueisha, mm. I'm sure. Oh dear, that's um, going to be difficult then. <laughs> yeah, that's 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 always like the bitch of it all. This is a hell of a show to to start. It seems not really. I mean, I just watched through that much because that's what was being released in that order but i didn't that was over years i didn't do it like up oh, i'm gonna do this and then i like if you look at the release dates of the movies it's interspersed like throughout the seasons it's kind of like up oh, season one happened and season two and then did the first movie and then yeah. they did this and the second movie right um and because it is episodic like there's no real need to keep up with watching it because you might forget you know the ongoing plot line like it's yeah, just the assortment it's... of characters yeah, even if you've never seen a character before, it only takes like two minutes of that character being on screen before you understand this is the deal yeah. with this character. I mean, was it fair to, to say it's basically like a Japanese version of The Simpsons? No, that's just, exactly how I tell people mm-hmm. like basically what it is. Yeah, just, I mean, you don't have to have seen every episode of The Simpsons. You can just jump in and then if you've never seen Gil or whatever, you know, well, you figure out <laughs> Gil in one scene. <laughs> So, I mean, that's basically, like, I, I wouldn't really sweat, like, having to go through that whole, you know, monstrosity. That's like, you know, the people who are like, oh, you got to watch all the Pretty Cure. No, you don't. No, especially not Pretty Cure, because that is designed to be re- reset for whatever five-year-old girl is five years old for the next season. What about whatever and the th- 38-year-old, 38-year-old man? 38-year-old man and 45-year-old man. <laughs> And the large contingent of adult ladies that like that show, too. Urusei <laughs> Atsura changes dramatically once Mamoru Oshii and Studio Piero leave. I always kind of hail that show as being like the anti-harem show before harem shows existed. The jokes were like really weird and subversive and like very unique. And then um, from about that midpoint on, things change like really like settles down gets a lot more sentimental a lot less like manic and lunacy inspired i mean people still like those later episodes but maybe it's just because they're 100 episodes in and they're in this to the end anyway right um i mean i'm sure if somebody really wanted to they could pick like oh the essential urusei atsura episodes it's just one of those things kind of like say the kids in the hall where i have to think for a while before i can think up like what's a crappy episode of urusei atsura like most everything I think of, it's like you just think of the premise of it, and it's like that's a really good. I have heard multiple times that I think about twenty episodes in is where the show hits its stride, and yes. that those first couple of episodes, I wasn't really sold on the show in the first couple of episodes. And there's a and... good reason for that. I think the reason is because the first couple episodes where they have two stories per episode, those are very faithful or they're much more faithful to Rumiko Takahashi's manga than anything and so the trouble with that is that nobody is like even remotely likable like Lum is a total bitch and like it's funny that Atsuru is a total piece of trash because that's the 
fundamental premise of the show. But at some point, Mamoru Oshii and Rumiko Takahashi had like some sort of power struggle as for like, how should this show be? And I guess Oshii won out. And then from around the end of the first season, like once the second season started, the episodes were just like one story an episode. Lum was like at least somewhat tolerable. Mm. And uh, then the show got huge. I personally think that uh, Rumiko Takahashi should be sending Mamoru Oshii chocolates every Christmas, thanking him for making her into the super famous, you know, entity that she really became. Because sure, those shows were big, but they weren't like super mega huge until after I would say that point. But yeah, I would say around the twenties or so, maybe the late teens. That's what I've heard multiple times. Is you know, mm-hmm. those first dozen, two dozen episodes are kind of rough, kind of not that all, not all that fun, and then after that that breaks off and becomes its own thing. I'm looking at like some of these earlier episodes in the before twenties. And some of these are some pretty strong candidates for greatness. Like the demonic jogging episode, which is, uh, <laughs> I can't, I can't say what it is. Cause it gives away the joke, but basically, you know, the title of it is demonic jogging. You can figure it out. Mm. Even in the early teens where they go to Hawaii and they have to eat like the full course meal from hell. Like, yeah, these are good. Good episodes. Mm. Even episode four is like the portal to Neptune is in the closet and the beautiful princess of Neptune lures men in to make them shovel snow. Oh, yes. This is this is good shit. Like, why weren't these jokes stolen and recycled for like 30 years after? Why is like everything since like the laziest possible idea? Like, take some inspiration to be like the body switching earmuffs or like (laughs) just looking at the titles of it. Or they go and meet the the prince of the underworld whose talent is being able to dig holes very quickly <laughs> with a pickaxe. The weird There's thing so with Rumiko like... Takashi Takashi's stuff is also that she has a weird way of making them the most Japanese shows you've ever seen. Because she'll pull from so much like Japanese mythology and such. But she does tend to make yeah. them very, relatively accessible too because like all of her shows are that generation's, you know, gateway usually. Right. So... Um, but yeah, it's true because Urusei Yatsura, it's all that old folklore, like creatures and such like right. that, reimagined as cute girls or what have you. Yeah, and I think you probably get an extra level of like enjoyment out of it if you realize that those are the things that are being referenced or that are being incorporated. But I don't think that it's not funny if you don't know. That is the strength of a good joke is if it references something and it's still funny on its own. Mm-hmm. Project Aiko, for example. <laughs> One of my favorite Ursay Atsura episodes is one where it doesn't extend to the American school experience whatsoever, but you can immediately figure it out. The premise is that during lunch, too many people are leaving campus to eat food from like, you know, nearby businesses. And so an all out warfare like assault is made to stop the bad kids from leaving school campus to eat lunch at fast food joints. And it just ends up being like the city wide battleground of trying to get food and getting back to class on time. You don't need to know anything for this to be funny. Mm-hmm. You don't also need to know anything about how having cavities works to understand that having space cavities really <laughs> sucks 
Because the only way to get better is to bite somebody and give them space cavities. <laughs> and effectively, it's a zombie episode because you have like a bunch of people with their mouths going open, uh, trying to bite other people mm. and infect them. Pretty inventive ideas. It, it, it's a show that people need to have access to. And right now they do not. Which brings up a good point. I, I want to just bring this up very quickly. AX is going on right now. Um, Anime Expo. And uh, there was a panel there for Yamato 2199, and it was in a room that could fit a thousand people, and there were 60 people. Yeah, 60 people showed up for the screening of Yamato 2199, and they were expecting a thousand people. And you know, they pulled their strings with that Anime Expo staff to be like, hey, we need a big room, and we're going to give you whatever, whatever. And nobody showed up except for 60 people of a convention that has like even higher than it's ever been. And so not even 1%, not even half a 1%, not even a tenth of 1% showed up for this thing. And there's one simple reason for that. How are you going to watch this show? There is no way to watch this show. There's no way to get interested in this show. How can you possibly be interested in this show? The only way... Well, 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 actually, Jared, there's a way that you can watch your show. And, and of course, that is to spend the... yeah, importing $80 Blu-rays two episodes at a time, which is not a reasonable way to expect people to watch your show that they haven't seen well, before. They're not actually imports anymore. They are sold domestically <laughs> for the same price. <laughs> Ah, uh, but this is like yeah, this is this be... is a fine example of being about ten years behind the times. Say what you will about Anaplex, but at least even though they've got the outrageously expensive Blu-ray set, they've got the way to watch the show without spending any money legitimately. Yes, if you they want to watch Fate Zero or streaming. if you want to, except for those movies, those that movie package. Only the fucking insane people bought that movie package. Yeah, oh, that the one? Garden of Kyokai? Yeah, Garden of yeah. Sinners thing. Only the absolutely insane, crazy pedophiles bought that show. But there's a difference between that one and Yamato, and that's that that was, like, at some point, the hot show, or the hot series at the time from the studio that those people were really invested in. Right. Whereas Yamato's day was decades ago, and the people super hardcore into that are like the same people who are like, dude, why don't you just spend $160 and import the Macross Frontier movie Blu-rays? They've got English subtitles on them. Yeah. That's the same set of people who are buying Yamato 2199. And so, you know, it serves them right for expecting people to bend over backwards for this thing that they give you no access to. So, Which is really, really uh, like a shame, just because we said it on past episodes, but that really is one of the best anime series of the last few years. Yeah, it's really and good. It's... Nobody can see it nope. legitimately or without paying like an outrageous amount of money to buy something allegedly sight unseen. Yeah. There's no yeah. reason that that shouldn't be streaming. It's... And, well, the thing is, is that I know the smart people told them that. Mm -hmm. And the Japanese people in charge of that release heard it and said... Yeah, we don't need to do that. So it's not a case where, you know, smart people were not giving them the right advice or that they just never heard of this concept. It's they we know what anime we know what anime fan want. And right. it's Japan thinking that this title is so strong in Japan and is such a big lineage in Japan that there's no way it can't be big in America. Nope. You have to reintroduce that entire show. Because the only people that care about that show are all in their forties and Again, they they will buy that show, but there aren't enough of them to make a difference. Right. And the other thing, too, is that Yamato, you do have people, my boss, who's actually no longer working with us, but, you know, he watched Star Blazers. 
mm-hmm. right? When he was younger. And so he remembers that show and he really loved that show. But he's not like a super hardcore, like nerd anime fan. No, it so, was just on. Yeah, but like he has fond memories of it. He would watch 2199. I'm sure he might even buy it, but he's not going to import $80 Blu-rays or like go way out of his way because he's not in those circles. So they're missing that entire audience. How is he even supposed to know it exists? Right. Yeah. I just look <laughs> at the success of Knights of Sidonia and see like that was something that, okay, the manga was coming out from Vertical and what have you, but then the anime came out and it actually ended up being pretty well received. And the reason was because it got onto Netflix and it got onto Netflix and it got some good placement there. And that was not like a show with a huge built in American fan base from the past or anything. That's a brand new thing. It's getting a second season now. And I just think, Wow, imagine if it was Yamato 2199 in place of Sidonia, which is not to say Sidonia is bad. I'm just saying, like, you know, right. that's the kind of placement a show like that would need to get yeah. to reach its actual audience. Yeah, because then you can get those people who, oh, I remember Starblazers. Exactly. You and know? I mean, where where the heck can you even watch Starblazers now? I don't even know anymore. I think it might be streaming somewhere, but is it's it definitely Hulu? not. It, if it, it might be, actually. If it is, it's certainly not anywhere prominent. Going back to Sailor Moon, I think it's really smart the way that Hulu is re-releasing Sailor Moon. Like, they're only putting out, like, maybe uh, two episodes a week or whatever it is, because that's another show, like Urusei Atsura, it's very episodic. Mm -hmm. If they just put up, like, 200 episodes of it at a time and people tried to marathon watch that, they'd want to die because, you know, Sailor Moon's not meant to be watched that way. So it's smart that they did it that way as well. I kind of think, like... To go back to the original email, even if you were to put something like Urusei or upstreaming, it probably would be best to dish it out like in portions yeah. over some set of period of time because if people tried to just watch through it, they'd burn out yeah. really fast. Well, I mean, yeah. heck, I was even saying like when Viz was talking about having, I guess, like the remastered things of Ranma, it's like that needs to be streaming because Ron does the same thing with Urusei is like Ranma is streaming, isn't it? Uh, not that I know of. No, I haven't heard any advertising for it streaming. It it would make perfect sense to stream it, but yeah, I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's on Neon Alley, so I mean, it's on Hulu. Okay. I'm fairly certain of that, and as I check, yeah, it All is. All right. Dub and sub. Okay. Well, that has to be there, because Ranma is even more so than Yuru Sayatsura, like, even more so episodic. Yeah, especially after that first season, yeah. because the first season was serialized, wasn't really a big, huge hit. It went episodic or two episode arcs as it were Mm -hmm. and that's when became a hit and they could get away with selling two episode of tape vhs's because you get a whole story yeah that is what we've heard out of ax so far i'm sure if you scan the internet you'll see all the rest of the news on there if that's it i guess we can get on with the review
So, if you ask a lot of old schoolers in anime, the guys who are usually above the age of about 35 or 40, and ask them if there was a golden age of anime, some might say that there never was. But if they do say yes, they would probably say that it was around the 1980s. This was because it was the start of the direct-to-video era, it was a financial boom in Japan, and anime was allowed to be a lot more experimental and daring, to a degree that, you know, we're only just seeing a bit of that now. There are also a lot of individuals whose work started in the 1980s or became very much defined by the 1980s. Some were character designers like Kenichi Sonoda. His designs became just ubiquitous with a 1980s anime look. Mm-hmm. Although I'd argue that the man whose career is most defined by the 80s is Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, or as he's known, Yaz. Because that's how he signs all those paintings, and that's how people just refer to him, and I like that name. And we've talked about him before on the show. Yeah, like maybe him and, and maybe Mikimoto. Mikimoto's a really, really good choice, too. That's- as far as like a visual aesthetic that you look at and say, oh, that's that's totally an era from the 80s, even though they make stuff now. Right. Yeah. Still looking at like it when I, that's 80s art. Like when I say that Yaz is so much of like an 80s person, I would say his first major prominent role was the character designer for the original Mobile Suit Gundam, which is 1979, and his last prominent work was the Venus Wars in 1989. That is the entire 80s. That is basically in, entirely encapsulates his career. Since I, then... I, I Didn't Gundam start in the 70s? I, did, I, I said 1979 for Mobile Suit Gundam. Okay. So, and he also did um, something else right before that. Oh, he did. He worked that... on character designs for shows in the 70s, but uh, none of them okay. were very big or super popular shows. Like, that was the first... Oh, Ray Dean, right? Uh, I think he did Ray Dean. That was the most, po- and... that was the most prominent thing he did. Uh, Gundam was the thing that exploded. And then he ended up directing the Gundam movies... In the DVD pamphlets, Tamino actually says, thanks to Yoshikazu Yasuhiko, these movies turned out much better because of his directing. But he's only directed stuff in the 80s. Before and after, he's done like a little bit of character design work. And as I was saying, he is lined up to direct Gundam The Origin, but that doesn't start until next year. And I'm not going to count that until it actually starts, because that would be the first work that he's touched in like 31 years. So what happened? Did they just look at the stuff that he made and said, this guy is poison and we should never let him work again? Or did he just say, like, screw it, I just want to draw manga very sporadically as, like, Gundam The Origin came out? You know, uh, who knows? It could have been one or the other or a bit of both because we don't, you know, know the story necessarily. I know that people really didn't like The Venus Wars and it's probably one of his weaker works. That might be part of it. It might be one of those career killer sort of things. It might just be that being a manga artist not for a Shonen Jump style magazine is maybe an easier job to have than directing anime. Who knows? If it were me, I'd probably go for the path of least resistance. The show we're talking about is, of course, Giant Gorg. Giant Gorg is the only TV series that he has directed. It's a sci-fi series that came out in 1984 and is set in the far distant future of 1998. And it stars our scrappy 13-year-old protagonist, Tagami Yu. So this is obviously, like, in the wake of Mobile Suit Gundam, but, like, before Zeta Gundam. Is that around? 1984. So Zeta Gundam was 85. Yeah. And this is Sunrise, right? This is Sunrise, yeah. In fact... Okay, uh, so definitely. Most definitely, yeah. So So they're looking for their new Mobile Suit Gundam still. Yes. Before they decide a year from now, our new Mobile Suit Gundam is more Mobile Suit Gundam. Yeah, because when did Dragonar come out? That was 83 or something? Something like that. I thought it was later than that. Was it? I was thought, it 84? I thought Dragonar, like, I was thought that, that post-Zeta like, Gundam? 
I thought that was like post Shah's counterattack, but I could oh, be wrong. Oh, maybe. Uh, 1987. Oh, okay, so says. that was a bit later when they were still trying to come up with a new Gundam. And yeah, still that was like, you know, they were wrapping up Gundam with Shaw's counterattack. So like after Double Zeta came out, they were like Dragonar. So, you know, the moral like imperative from the Sunrise higher ups for years was we need a new Gundam. And so Giant Gorg yep. is attempt uh, number X. And you know that it is because the series creators are Yoshikazu Yasuhiko and Hajime Yatate. And uh, that guy is so prolific. I really yeah. love that Hajime Yatate. <laughs> Yeah, so for and, those of you who don't... it's amazing for how many decades he's just he's been He's just been so working prolific. and just coming out with stuff. <laughs> yeah, I always feel bad. Like We've talked about Hajime Yatate before. Yatate. Hajime Yatate is basically a name. It's a collective pseudonym for the entire Sunrise staff. The purpose is effectively so the studio can own the creation and not any one person. There's no reason for, say, in America, like if you make a comic book and have like Marvel Comics or DC, you don't have to make a fake name so that Marvel or DC owns it. Right. It's, it's part and parcel. It's work for hire, exactly, yeah. Right, because the system works different in Japan. It's, you know, by default, more creator's rights oriented. In order to have uh, effectively work for hire scenario, they've got to credit everything to this fictitious entity Yeah, that is actually just the studio. Yeah, the creator's rights thing is something that works equally well and equally badly in Japan. It has hurt as much as it has helped. <laughs> But the main character, 13-year-old Tagami Yu, is sent a letter from his father, who tells him that there is this mysterious island called Austral Island. It is purposely being kept off of maps because of some secret about the island. The letter just asks, you know, why are they doing this? That's a good letter to send to a 13-year-old child, by the way. <laughs> and, and he says, and the father says, you come to New York and meet my friend Dr. Wave. A.K.A. Woody and, Allen. Yes, exactly. And... While this is set in 1998, this was made in 1984. If you made anime in 1984, in the 80s, let's say, about New York, the only thing you know about New York is that it's a city that is full top to bottom with graffiti, it's absolutely full of crime, where you get your purse or wallet snatched at any moment, and it's generally a shithole. Today, it is completely different, there is much less graffiti. But Giant Gorg doesn't disappoint. Ewan, in fact, is in New York for maybe five minutes and is mugged and is almost killed. This is the 80s view of New York City. Anyway, you meets Dr. Wave, who, because Clarissa was saying, is basically modeled after Woody Allen. And he's like a completely useless character. <laughs> His introduction is that he's naked. Um, well, yeah, that's really the real Woody Allen, then. Is, you know, he's well, naked he's, and he's around little children. He's naked and he's around his little sister. There is no other, reason, Allen. no other reason for this other than he's modeled after Woody Allen and he's American. He explains, you know, some things that he knows about the island. And then suddenly this evil organization is has to stop him. And they do that by throwing a wrecking ball into his apartment and just destroying it. Now, and they snuck up on him. We need yes. to probably explain that this evil organization has like the worst name that makes yes. it impossible to ever take them seriously. Yeah, they are spelled G-A-I-L. And how would you pronounce that? Gale. But they don't pronounce it that way. <laughs> it's pronounced Guile. Yep, that's how the Japanese would say it, like, yeah. as all JoJo's Bizarre Adventure fans know. But either right. way, I mean, even Gale, it's like, then it's just like somebody's aunt or like grandmother. It's not right. threatening in any way. I think before Street Fighter 2, Guile at least was associated with cunning 
as opposed right, to having right. a theme song that goes with everything. <laughs> Right. They find out about this evil organization who is also trying to prevent people from getting to this island. And so their job is to get to this island. And they meet some allies along the way, such as this really massive guy whose name is just Captain, who is kind of the muscle of the team. And for the next couple of episodes, they are basically on this sort of road trip across America to get to Austral Island. In my opinion, this is one of the most interesting parts of the show because... It doesn't sound like it has any robots in it. Well, first of all... One of the things I love the most about anime is when they try to depict America as they think America is. <laughs> they go through, like, the Southwest, they go through Las Vegas and such. I don't know if they ever went to Las Vegas or if they just saw movies about Las Vegas. Do they visit any foreign countries on the way, like, say, the foreign country of Texas? <laughs> if Texas they do, is interesting because Texas, more than anywhere else, defines, like, America's... Depiction you know, outside depiction of the United States. Depiction outside of the United States. Mm -hmm. And in America, like, Texas is its own planet. Yeah. yeah. In fact, the people who live in Texas, there's always, like, a small, weird group. They don't even want to call group. themselves Americans. They no. want to call themselves Texans. Right. They're not typical Americans. Typical Americans are much more homogenous, I think. Maybe it's like how Canada is defined by people from Quebec. Possibly, yeah. They actually get to Austral Island quite early in the show. By episode four, they're actually on the island, and they actually meet Giant Gorg. And this is not a spoiler to say they meet Giant Gorg. The name of the show is Giant Gorg. So, so it's four episodes it before... four episodes? It felt longer. It felt a lot longer, and I went back and rewatched it just to make sure, because I thought that this road trip across America was a long time. And it, no, it was actually very quickly. They were on Austral Island. So this is a show with a robot in the title they don't actually encounter until the fourth episode of the series. That's right. Yes. It's not as, you know, harsh a, a show as, say, Basilisk, where the uh, entire reveal is the main character is a Basilisk, and the show's name yeah, Basilisk. Yeah, like the last episode, or like, you know, two episodes <laughs> yes. to the end. God, like, oh, by spoilers, the way, Gerald! <laughs> I have the most broken ability in all of this entire show. Nothing you can do about it, by the way. Yep. Anyway, by you know, this... No, it's like Die Buster in that sense. Like, you don't find the Die Buster until the very last episode, like 10 minutes till the end. Oh. So that would tick me off. Anyway, it's at this point where the show kind of... I don't know if, if it's fair to say that the show shifts, but my expectations for the show were one thing, and then what I saw was another thing. I was thinking that this show was going to be kind of more of a science fiction-y sort of thing. Well, really what this show is, is it's much more of a war show. A lot of the show is all about the resistance on the island, along with uh, you and Captain and uh, Dr. Wave, you know, sort of team up and try to fight against Guile. I could probably compare it to a show like maybe Gundam 8th MS Team, kind of a similar sort of setting, similar sort of progression, even though the basis of each show is very, very different. Here's the thing. Shows like Giant Gorg are very strange. There's this sort of category of shows all from like pre-1995 or so, even like 1990. And I don't have a word for them, but you might almost call them like curated shows. And these are shows that are talked about and built up by a small group of people. Then these people had the means and the know-how to obtain the show and watch it, and then would talk it up in newsletters, on bulletin boards in forum posts online. And this would a lot end of times up... these shows were either not completely fan-subbed, or if they were subtitled, again, due to the means of distribution, that was, like, locked down under control. Like, yes. finding the guy who's got 
the copies of Zeta Gundam fan sub. They're finding the guy who's got episode whatever through whatever of Giant Gorg. You know, yeah, this that was, wasn't easy. Yeah, and this is, ends up like those posts and those people online that became sort of the opinion of the show. The best example, as you brought up just now, Daryl, is possibly Zeta Gundam. That show was released in 1985. It was entirely fan subbed on VHS, but VHS fan subs were not something that were easy to obtain. It was multiple long steps in order to even get a VHS copy, and that is if you found someone who was willing to just sell you VHS copies, and you didn't have to go through some inane sort of trading mechanism. Up until 2004, pretty much the only thing people had heard about Zeta Gundam was that it was the best Gundam show ever ever made, or it was the best anime TV series ever made, or the most amazing thing ever you'll ever see, or it will make your dick bigger by just watching it. It Yeah, 20 years of that, basically. Yeah, 20 years of this. In fact, I even fell into this. As a young anime fan in the 90s, you know, I wanted to sound smart. And so if Zeta Gundam ever came out, I would say, yeah, this is one of the best shows ever. And then 2004 came about, and we got a box set of it. And then we later got easier to buy releases of it, more reasonably priced releases. And then suddenly, all those feelings about Zeta Gundam disappeared. Giant Gorg? if possible, is an even more extreme example of this. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting because you kind of see in anime fandom the way, like, the establishment of canons works in, like, this concentrated microcosm Mm -hmm. and outside of the sort of class hierarchy with which sort of academic canons and things like that are associated, so you don't have that kind of thing affecting it. So yeah, I mean, it's interesting the way you can see this thing of like, okay, these important people, which is the people who have the access or the education or whatever, you know, determine that these things are like the great important things. And then everybody else is like, yes, sure. These are great and, important things. And Yeah. And, and you realize that the reason that they watch these shows is because they were autistics who could understand what the hell Tomino was talking about. <laughs> but um, to go back to Giant Gorg, but Giant though, Gorg I mean... is an even more extreme example. I mean, the entire show may have been fully fan-subbed on VHS, but if it was, it was not even as easily available as Zeta Gundam was. And up until literally a few months ago, as we record this show, the entire show had never been available fully fan-subbed. So this was a really, really hard show to come across. And all information about it had to be filtered through a very f- small group of fans who had access to it. In fact, if I could name like a person who was kind of the big proponent for the show, I would say it has to be Dave Merrill. He's written some great articles about Giant Gorg in kind of the same way that Tim Eldred is kind of the big proponent for Armor Trooper Votoms. I would say like Dave is the Prince Planet as far as you know for like Tim Eldred really hyping up Votoms and stuff. I think Dave is all about Poppy. If there were a proponent of Giant Gorg, I would say it's Dave Merrill, just because I can't think of another person who has talked about the show as much. Steve Harrison. Steve, where does Steve Harrison talk online? So up until a few months ago, it was just not reasonably possible to watch this show. In fact, if a show is not streaming, you could easily argue that it's still not reasonable to ask someone to watch the show. And the show was actually slated to get a release in 2002, when the anime bubble was still growing at the time. Bandai was going to start this very cool-sounding line called Sunrise Classics, where they were going to release old-school shows, sub-only. And the first two shows they announced were Giant Gorg and SPT Lasner. However, for whatever reason, this never happened. I heard it was due to, like, Masters or something like that. There was a door- All you have to know is that it's due to Bandai. 
yeah. existing. Probably. It was probably some crap there. It would have you know, been a good deal to just release the entire show in one box set, sub-only, low-priced. Just get it out there. Mm. This is where I totally lose my cred with the entire old-school crowd and throw up my arms and say, Giant Gorg is just kind of average. And I'm going to reach inside Clarissa's brain, and I'm going to pull out. She's thinking, yeah, this show wasn't that special. <laughs> it's such a shame because there's elements of it that I really like. I really love the robot design. Like, Giant mm-hmm. Gorg looks really cool, but it just felt like it dragged a lot. Yeah, my favorite parts of the show were the early parts of it when they were going through America and when they were being chased by Lady Lynx. And then when they get to the island, I think using the term filler is too harsh. Shows like Dragon Ball Z have filler. Naruto has filler. Bleach has filler. I feel like there are characters and like certain things that probably could have been very easily cut, though. Yeah, Giant Gorg just slows down so much. It feels like the writers saw this show and were just like, oh shit, we got them to the island too quickly. We need them to do something now. And on top of that, the base storyline for Giant Gorg is kind of generic, and something that most generations of anime fans have a show kind of like this. For my generation, the most similar show was probably The Secret of Blue Water. A very similar style of storyline. Even One Piece and Lupin have used storylines like this. However, that's not necessarily a bad thing. A generic storyline isn't a bad thing necessarily if you can execute it in an interesting way. And Giant Gorg executes a generic storyline in a perfectly acceptable way, but the problem is there's nothing very memorable about it, nothing really spectacular about it. Now, is it nothing memorable about it just by virtue of all the anime that's come out in the 30 plus years since? I don't think so. Or I will, do you think like by the standards of like other shows in 1983? I think that it is unspectacular even by shows then. When I look at some other shows then for like Macross, Armor Trooper Votoms and things like that, I find those shows a little bit more interesting. They move along at a little bit more brisk pace, perhaps, or maybe they've got something to do. But I think a lot of the problem, and Clarissa, you you were touching on this, is that there's a large cast of characters that have got a lot of nothing to do. Dr. Wave shows up in the very first episode of the show, and he's there for the entire show and adds basically nothing to it. He doesn't do anything. Right, and they don't make him a particularly interesting character either. Like, it's not like... He enhances the show just by his presence. No. You, the main character. His characterization goes all the way from angry to determined. Oh, so he's a robot here. Yeah. Basically. Captain, who by all accounts should be my favorite character, because he is the big, giant, muscly guy who punches things and blows things up. He maybe has two or three memorable moments in the whole show. Like, they just don't do a lot with him. It feels like a show that would be a tremendously solid 13 episodes but ends up being an average 26 episodes. I feel like Dave Merrill is already writing me off of his Christmas list this year, or is writing up a Christmas list, putting my name down, and then scratching it off again. No, no, that's not true, because Mike Tool is also a big fan of Giant Gorg. He always hypes this thing up at his panels as well. So then he will be writing me off, too. Okay, so that's two, then. The show does look really nice. The animation, except for the opening review, the animation is almost never reused. The design of Giant Gorg himself is great. It's very reminiscent of, like, sort of 70s robot designs. There's maybe, like, a 15% giant robo in Giant Gorg. At no point does the show ever try to pander to anyone. Unfortunately, this is also the type of show that it's really hard to write about. 
one of the best things ever is writing about a show that is awful. It is even more fun writing about an awful show than it is writing about a good show. We're not writing. Or, or talking about it. One of the toughest things is writing about a show that doesn't leave you with any really great feelings. Nothing about Giant Gorg was particularly offensive. Nothing about it was really awful. But at the same time, nothing really stood out. It's sad because the people who made this and who worked on this, the people who scripted the show, they wrote shows like Dr. Slump and Tiger Mask and Dirty Pear and Devil Man and Pataliro and Cutie Honey. Those I are think some all those fucking... have different source material, though, that they could at least pull from. This There was no manga for Giant Gorg, right? This no, is this is completely original, TV. which you would think would give them carte blanche to just be fucking insane. Because a lot of those shows that you know I just mentioned are insane shows. This is an extremely subdued show for certainly that group of writers. Um, I kind of right. feel like that sort of is like my opinion of a lot of what Yoshikazu Yasuhiko did after Gundam. I mean, he made a bunch of stuff. I know you just were on Paul's podcast to talk about Crusher Joe, and then he did what? Well, Venus Wars and the other one, like Arion? Like, at least Crusher Joe came out here, but like Venus Wars, like you said, that may have killed his career. Arion, I know you love it a lot. No one else really talks about Arion. Arion like, is, is, again, one that never got released here. And I like Arion. Yeah. I haven't seen it in about 10 years, but I remember really liking it. His movies are very long. And I love Crusher Joe to death, but the best part of Crusher Joe are the OAVs that he didn't direct. Right. Uh, and so, like, when I think of, like, his stuff, I like Gun of the Origin, but that at least has a source thing that he kind of went back to and, and changed. But, like, like I'm ta- let's go back, like, 10, 15 years ago. Back when Comics One existed, and mm-hmm. uh, you know they were releasing the greatest manga like ever, like they were doing Jesus and, and, yeah. and stuff. I bought his Joan of Arc manga. Mm-hmm. The Jesus one was, I think it was only ever released digitally, and I read, I bought that also. But it's like I would read these things, and they're all just like, that's it. You know, I was expecting <laughs> like something just better conceptually. Like if you go to someone and say there is a manga about Jesus. The Christian savior that exists. Written by a Japanese guy. Written by a Japanese dude. It's like, oh, you got to read this. Like, oh, Who mostly does sci-fi like, work. <laughs> right. And then you read it and it's like, oh, that's, you know, I can't really, it's, it's all right, I guess. Hmm. And like the Joan of Arc one, it's like three volumes of like, okay, Joan of Arc has visions and stuff happens, maybe, sort of, but you want it to be better. And that's like always my opinion, like of Yasuhiko as a rule. Like I watched the Venus Wars and it's like, individually there's a lot of cool elements to this why don't i like this movie that much it looks nice yeah i mean i mean the the man can direct a good action scene a really good action scene and venus wars demonstrates that the problem is is that for venus wars for example he had two big fight scenes and they were both against the same villain both against a giant tank and again accompanied by characters that weren't that interesting and yeah that seems to be yoshikazu yasuhiko when he like writes and like handles like all the stuff other than like being a animator or designer or whatever that's where they seem to like sort of drop the ball for me i mean i mean i liked um, i liked crusher joe because he he was a co-scriptor on that actually that was written by the original guy who wrote the books and so that, okay, yeah. So that's again adapted from source material. Yes. And again, the best Crusher Joe stuff is like second OAV and stuff. But like that's that, not which... to say that the movies are bad. But the second OAV, the the movie is two and a half hours long. It's great. It's two and a half hours mm-hmm. long. The OAVs are one hour a piece and just concentrated awesome action. 
Right. So, Whereas, you know, stuff like I could see Giant Gorg where like he's the guy who created the idea of it and he's the director of it and all that stuff. Maybe that's where Yoshikazu Yasuhiko isn't like the best placed person for the job. Right. Maybe his like real acumen is in either tightening up somebody else's thing that they've already created or just contributing artwork that looks cool for like a, a, a badass robot or something like that. It's tough because it has some great ideas. It's not a show that is sort of offensively generic. Like for me, offensively generic are shows like Magi. That is a show where it just let's take every single element of shonen style shows and then put them in the Middle East and not do anything else with it. Let me ask you, Clarissa, do you remember any scenes from the show? Um, I mean, I remember a few things. Like, I do remember some of the stuff at the very beginning, like when he first came to New York, and then mm-hmm. when the um the younger villain guy like almost hit him with his car. Right. Um, and I remember stuff like opening Giant Gorg and like the guy disintegrating in the cockpit. Right. Stuff like that. Like, there were some cool scenes and some interesting concepts, but I would just repeatedly find myself getting kind of bored. Yeah. The main, like, hook for the show is that each episode ends, like, very Republic serial. Like, on a cliffhanger? It it ends on some cliffhanger, and then it has in English, like, tune in next time, the same Gorg time, the same same Gorg Gorg channel. channel. Which is ridiculous for the show that is hyper-serious. It doesn't fit the tone of the show. (laughs) But I think it explains why in the early 1980s, when stuff, maybe you either had to watch it raw or things were a little hard to find that people kind of were drawn into this show because here was an anime where at least the early episodes are set in a version of America. That you can at least recognize. So, And there's like some English text on the screen uh, that, you know, you can kind of get. You can see it sort of resonating with a crowd back then of people who maybe weren't that familiar with what this whole Japanese animation thing was about. I mean, compared at the time for what was in American animation on American television... I mean, what's the alternative is is G1 Transformers, right? And this seems at least a little more sophisticated than that, even though yeah. that's the latter is what I grew up with, is mm-hmm. that Transformers. Right. Movie. I mean, it's a more sophisticated story. It's just, it's serialized. You have to watch every episode. It, there's no missing anything. Otherwise, you'll just be lost completely. It's really tough to talk about. It's hard to find like the right sort of person for the show. There's a giant robot in the show. He gets a decent amount of screen time, but... He, He's not really fighting a lot. So if you're coming into this thinking that there's going to be a lot of robot fighting, he most of the time is kind of just transportation for you. Right. And there's also like a weird kind of middle of the road, like Gorg isn't explicitly piloted. So it's like, okay, is it aware? But it doesn't really have a lot of a personality either. No. Well, that's part of the mystery is is trying to figure out like what the deal is. Like, how is this thing? Is this thing sentient? Isn't it sentient? That's part of what you're finding out. It's kind of like how Raideen was, too. I've never seen much of Raideen. It's just not been available. All I can find is, you know, summaries of Raideen. So much of this show is really much more of a war show. It's unfortunately just stretched out a little bit too much to maintain a lot of interest. It's sad because I really, this show was one of those shows that was hyped up to me and hyped up and hyped up. And uh, some friends of mine were fansumming it, but they only had the first four or five episodes. And I didn't even want to watch, start watching it. I didn't even start the show until I knew I could get the entire show. Because yeah, all you knew about it at the time is up. Oh, it's a serialized show and each episode ends on terrible cliffhanger. Yes. And I don't want I to have the whole thing. And I don't want to be stuck. Yeah. Stuck and just never being able to finish up the show. I'm glad that I watched it. I'm glad that I now kind of know where this is coming from. 
it's a little bit sad that I don't necessarily agree with where some of the old schoolers are, that this is that great a show. And again, I'm not even comparing it to shows of today. I just feel like even shows of that era doesn't really necessarily hold up in terms of scripting, largely, and character. Well, I think that's the difference then, because, I mean, this has been a week where old school robot stuff has really uh, been gotten a bloody nose because, I mean, you know, Mazinger. the Anime News Network famously put up their really negative review of Mazinger Z, mm-hmm. where, for one, you're probably not supposed to watch 46 episodes of Mazinger Z continuously in one shot. No. Oh, God. And, no. And, oh, no. And, and, of course, he's like, this show sucks. And, you know, he kind of was evaluating it against the standards of today, which isn't very equitable, but... At the same time, like all the things that he says are like shortcomings of the series are pretty much why people like that show. Right. And yeah, it's just, it's good to point out that, you know, we're not trying to sort of compare Giant Gorgon saying, oh, it's not doing anything too special. We're not saying that with, you know, the hindsight of 30 extra years of shows that sort of followed similar things. Like you mentioned Nadia, Mm -hmm. for example, as having a similar beat. No, this is relative to other productions of that era, of that early 1980s, which, you know, I think we've all watched a decent amount of stuff from that time period to be able to make that assessment. Right. And, you know, actually, I would have been the type of person, I was reviewing this because I would be the type of person who would be biased towards the show. I want the show to succeed because 80s giant robot shows, that's where I am. That's me. And so for me to not be, you know, going on and on about this show, that should say something to people who know me. Because, I mean, like, we're watching Arbor Trooper Votoms right now, and we're only about four episodes in, and that's probably more memorable right now than all of Giant Gorg was. Yeah. And just to clarify, because I know someone's going to zero in on just that quote, we've seen Votoms many times. You're showing it to new people right now. You will probably remember more about that show than you will about Giant Gorg. But I guess time will tell on that. It's unfortunate, because it's not an awful show. How do I put it delicately? You can spend your time better, perhaps. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think so. I mean, it's not, like, offensively terrible. It's not like, uh, watching Giant Gorg is, like, a miserable experience or anything. Well, usually you can judge it by how quickly it is eyes to iPad. This was instant eyes to iPad for Clarissa, I suppose. I mean, I was watching the entire show all the way through fixated on it, and it was very hard for me to even get any attachment to any of these characters. And I think that if you have a story or a show that's got a very generic storyline, then you have to have good writing and good characters to fill in sort of the missing spaces. Or it's probably better for it to be episodic, because Mm -hmm. you have more flexibility. And also... If you have a serialized show where you really have to pay attention to everything really closely and you can't hold the audience, once your attention's kind of drifted and then you've missed stuff or you don't remember things, it makes it that much harder to come back in and have it regain your attention because now you have trouble following things Mm. or you missed something and stuff doesn't make as much sense. So it was harder for me to like pick back up and get back into the show. Well, you're not going to have that problem once like Right Stuff releases their Cat's Eye box set and you guys are going to watch all of Cat's Eye. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I'll own Cat's Eye twice then. I have all of Cat's Eye already. I would like to review that because I watched a bunch of that and loved every moment of it. It's a shame because I feel like when I watch anime, I want it to make me either love it or hate it. If you can't make me love you or hate you, then being in that sort of very vast middle part is boring, because most media is like that. It would almost have been better if Giant Gorg had been worse a show. It would have had more to say about it. 
those are my feelings about Giant Gorg. It kind of is fascinating to me that Yoshikazu Yasuhiko has kept like such a strong reputation over the years. Just when you look at like the relative quality of like his overall body of work, I mean, it kind of seems like, you know, well, he, he made some hell of good Gundam movies and, uh, you know, only recently made like some pretty great manga. But other than that, it doesn't seem like you made too many things of greatness. I mean, certainly Crusher Joe is debatable. Like you're kind of the main Crusher Joe advocate in the world. I certainly like it enough to own it, but he's like put up on a huge pedestal to this day by the mecha people. Well, that is, uh, I put him there with Yoshiyuki Tomino in that if you worked on the pedestal of anime, which is Gundam, you can do whatever it's, you it's, want after. You can do whatever. You, it's like George Lucas. But like, people trash Lucas and people trash Tamino. People don't trash Yasuhiko. Because he hasn't done enough work. And the work that he has done is not as easily available. Like, we can go and buy a lot of Yoshimiyuki Tomino stuff. We can go out and buy Garzi's Wing and a lot of the Gundam work that he did. Yoshikazu Yasuhiko... Crusher Joe is not easily available. Arion, you have to download. Venus Wars is out of print. Maybe he kind of gets a little bit of a pass for, you know, the quality of his directing work because people are primarily thinking of him as like an illustrator. So maybe that's what people are evaluating that him on. That is a lot of it, I think. The most prominent work he's done is, you know, character mm-hmm. designer for Gundam. And I mean, for the original Gundam, too. And those Gundam movies... And I love the are, man's character designs. I mean... Yeah. Char, as we know him today, that came from Yoshikaze Yasuhiko. That's him. And, I, love I mean, the way the you most, say it, like the way you phrase it, like he just drew a picture of himself. Of like, himself? I want to believe that that's... <laughs> change the hair from black to blonde. <laughs> he wears the cutoff shirt as well. So. <laughs> man, have you seen, have yes. you seen the gag Mobile Suit Gundam anime that's out now where everyone's like, SD and weird, like not to be confused with the other SD Gundams or the no, other SD. I, no, I, I haven't, haven't seen, seen the new one. one. I uh, think you'll like it. I, I think oh, okay. uh, it, it does in, indeed have a bunch of naked Shahs nubble running around. <laughs> the easiest thing of Yoshikazu Yasuhiko's to to obtain is probably what the the original Gundam movies. I don't even know what the status of their availability is now. Also out of um, print, but also out know. of print. Oh wow! So all even Gundam, those all the Gundam is out of print right now. Oh uh, yeah, because Bandai is. And don't don't worry, you could have gone to Daisuke, except, oh, never mind, they're taking Gundam off of Daisuke. Yep, so what reason do you have to go there if you had any reason already? You did. So, yeah. I forgot that existed. <laughs> yep. They, they do a good job of not getting themselves out there and actually getting lower in Google than piraters. <laughs> like, if you type in anime streaming online, you get, like, Crunchyroll first, then a bunch of piraters, and then Daisuke is, like, seventh. But anyway... That is, unfortunately, Giant Gorg. So the whole series has finally been uh, fan-subbed. You can't buy yes. it or stream it or anything right. like that. You have to download it. And uh, who, who actually did the subtitling on it? Was it probably 4chan? No. Um, or if it was, it I don't know these people. Let me bring it up quickly. It was a group called Brolord. <laughs> that sounds 4chan to me. It does sound very 4chan. So, and I don't know if they finished the show, They, but TSHS, is that another group you guys are familiar with? The world of, like, digital anime fan subbing now is very strange, because it's usually a lot of groups that get together for one show now, and then just sort of disperse. Well, it looks like it was done by basically two people, or three people. Uh, usually that's and... what it is, and it's all centered completely around someone convincing the translator to do it. It was finished, and relatively recently, too. Maybe even this year? 
it was finished fan subbing? I know that I waited quite a while to start watching this. I'm just reading like the fan subber history, and yeah, basically a couple of groups in the old days took a go at the early parts, and then like they just eventually found one lady who was just willing to sit and translate from one third of the series onward to the end. And um, you know, I'm glad she did. Anyway, that is Giant Gorg. I don't know. I guess I didn't really convince many people to watch the show. So <laughs> maybe they'll do it just hoping that they'll like it, and then they can say that you're an idiot. Yeah, that's fine. Hey, look, I'm probably going to get that from the old schoolers anyway. Oh, yeah. I get that anyway, no matter what. It's the internet. Somebody is going to tell you you're an idiot. And that's probably the nicest thing that you can hope people on the internet will say. (laughs) This is true. Anyway, that is Giant Gorg. episode of Anime World Order. Before we burn any more bridges with our old school crowd, maybe we should end this episode as quickly as possible. Be sure to email us at animeworldorder at gmail.com or leave some comments on the page or you can find us on Twitter. Just go to animeworldorder.com and all of our Twitter links are on there. Do we have anything more to say? Uh, yeah, I do, actually. It's the same thing that you've got to say. I was a guest on Paul Chapman's monthly Greatest Movie Ever Anime Fun Time podcast, where once a month they review a Japanese animated work. Uh, it's kind of interesting because we have to figure out, like, hey, what are things that uh, we want to review that we haven't already covered? At least that's what I thought when I went on there, because I went and I reviewed the Tommy Galaxy by Masaki Uwasa, since I knew you guys uh, hated Masaki Uwasa when I made you guys watch his stuff. Gerald cheated and he reviewed Crusher Joe, but we've already reviewed Crusher Joe, but it's been like seven or eight years since we last saw Crusher Joe, so no harm, no foul. So check those out over on the uh, Guest Spots tab over on our website, which is AnimeWorldOrder.com, mm-hmm. and you can hear those. And uh, check out SkinCrawlingComics.com. I assist in that a little bit. And also check out Daryl's writing in Otaku USA magazine. And, uh, and we are going to be, I guess, uh, doing conventions soon yeah. enough, right? AFO will be Festival there. Festival Orlando. That's in about two weeks. By Something the time like this that. this comes out. And then Not Otakon really. is like a week or so after that. Something like that. But AFO, if you can make it there, we'll be doing maybe a panel or two on ninjas so uh check and that out if you uh can make it to otakon instead since afo is a little regional florida con and uh otakon probably a little a little bit bigger a little bit bigger we'll be doing that panel there as well mm-hmm. and uh i've got a few other ones that you can you know go on the website and check that stuff out actually let me just dump this in here and post now that otakon has put up the panel's roster up on their website i can confirm what my panels are going to be at that, of course, we got Anime's Craziest Deaths, 18 Plus, 
Returning one more time, getting some new footage together on that. New season just started. I found at least one show that's pretty good. But if you have some pretty suitable, terrible death footage, uh, do uh, go ahead and uh, hit me on Twitter or email with your suggestions of uh, the show and, you know, the episode where the uh, said violence occurs. I've also got Kill I'll Kill Spot the References Beginner's Edition panel. Same thing I did at Anime Next. Seemed to go over pretty well there. Hopefully it won't get too many well actuallys or you forgot to mentions over at Otakon. A little more hardcore crowd there, but it does say Beginner's Edition in the title for that. Then, yeah, we have the aforementioned with Gerald Ninja in anime, the sweet and mostly the stupid. Interestingly enough, Otakon's got like three or four different ninja-related panels this year. However, ours is the only one that understands that the plural of ninja is ninja, not ninjas. Damn ingrates watched too much fucking Botsmaster back when they were kids, I assume. And then finally, I got a brand new one that I really need to put together because I'm doing it for the first time at Anime Festival Orlando as well. The classic anime and Japanese pro wrestling connection because I've sort of mentioned it on and off. But for the past year now, it's been a full year worth of doing this every week. I've been showing two hours worth of my Japanese pro wrestling collection and also uh, American independent stuff putting together a presentation kind of dictating like okay here's sort of some things that professional wrestling helped establish from a storyline convention standpoint that crossed over into Japanese animation and certainly it's a little easier to show the wrestling things that were taken from anime it's a little more well documented but the former part is as far as I can tell not something that's been gone into in too much detail before by anybody so I uh, I'd better get started so yeah, those are my four panels at Otakon. Gerald's on the one with uh, Ninja with me. And I'm also probably going to find myself on writing about anime for fun and profit, since I think that's like my tool on Anime News Network, guys. They may have me on there as well. So uh, that's what's going on for Otakon. Plot out your schedules accordingly. However, so, we have yet to begin work on making any of these panels. So we should probably get started in a week and a half. <laughs> We'll just be, like, cutting stuff as we're on the panel, just <laughs> doing it on the it fly. It would not be the first time. <laughs> we have sat down at a convention, at a panel, gone, and we just have large videos to show and just clips to figure out. <laughs> that was terrifying. It was it not recommended. No. Uh, but, and, and it uh, wasn't intentional either. It was that no. the clips that we had picked at the time, the system we were using them, uh, decided to not work on the you know secondary system. Yes, but so that, that wasn't intentional. remedied and will never happen again. Right. Anyway, thanks for listening, guys. Until next time.